It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the BZE Community Show and this show are now available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe and rate us to help others find the show. My name is Kay Winnigal and I'm joined today by Natalie Bucknell. Hello Kay, hello listeners. Good to have you back, Nat. Thank you, you too, Kay. Yeah. Now, today we're going to be talking to Bryce Gayton, who regular listeners will know well. He's from the Australian Electric Vehicle Association. But before we talk to Bryce, we just want to mention the bushfires that are burning ferociously all around Australia. Every year, the fire season gets worse and worse and starts earlier and goes for longer. Our hearts go out to all the people and communities that are suffering through this terrible time. It's been amazing to see the support Australians have provided to the victims. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had strong leadership at a federal level that could do what communities around Australia are doing and help mitigate these effects of climate change? Around the world, leaders are condemning Australia's inaction on climate change and are calling for Australia to take urgent action. And you can take action yourself by joining your local climate action group, talking to your local politicians and councillors about calling a climate emergency. All those things can make a difference. So, Bryce... Yes, it's welcome. Okay, yep. thank you for inviting me. Let's start with the bushfires. If the bushfire crisis caused our leadership to sit up and take notice now and to declare a climate emergency, what policies and actions would we be adopting for transport? Uh, it would be anything that would... Um, anything? Pretty much anything. We have <laughs> v- v- virtually no policies on electrifying transport or lowering the emissions of transport in Australia. Even better fuel emission or fuel economy standards would make a big difference because in Europe, by introducing a lower and lower requirements for, for uh, carbon dioxide emissions, um, you increase the push to electric cars for them to lower their overall fleet emissions, things like that, which we don't do. We haven't even yet adopted the European or even American standards that were on the table now for probably getting close to four years. So we don't need to reinvent the wheel. There's plenty to choose from. No, no, there's plenty of models all around the world on how to have both carrots and sticks to push the drive to low emission vehicle transport, and we do none of it. And those have been in place for many, many years. Yes, as been growing in California for for decades, in Europe for quite some years, um, all around the world. Norway now has 60% um, electric vehicle new sales uptake, and we'll be banning all new sales of um, internal combustion engines by 2025. That's just one of more than uh, 15 or more countries now that have set dates. I think I've mentioned this before, but it's just those dates are getting closer and the targets are being easily reached because of their carrot and stick approach to policy. So how would our current fleet of cars measure up in terms of emission standards across the world? Uh, Appalling. Um, We're actually, our emissions are going up because we're buying bigger vehicles, less, so bigger, heavier vehicles that might be more efficient. 
slightly with their motors, but they're so much bigger and heavier that they burn more fuel per kilometre. Okay. And it's not just carbon dioxide emissions, is it? It's, it's also other pollutants? Mm. Yeah, you've both got the CO2, e, or CO2 equivalent, which is what you do your carbon accounting based on. That's a number of other carbon greenhouse gas gases that you account for as well as carbon dioxide itself. But there's also the, um, the pollution, the health damaging emissions of nitrous oxides and particulates, all those things that, that damage our health, all those things are gone when you switch over to electric vehicles. And the subsidies, the fuel subsidies, the diesel. Yes, you've got your diesel fuel subsidies, for, um, especially for transport and for farms. We're, we're heavily subsidised in the fossil fuel industry there, and yet we have much better, healthier transport options available that we're not, not encouraging at all. We're heavily subsidising products that kill us, are you saying? Yes. Oh, okay. So... Let's go on to another question. You know, we've heard about fires in terms of batteries, lithium batteries in phones and so forth. Mm. Is there any concern with EVs in fire situations? Uh, Personally, I think I'd prefer to be in a bushfire and electric car than a petrol car because petrol tends to go bang, whereas an electric battery will quite often those cars that have had accidents and there have been these battery fires happen hours, days, weeks later because they've parked the car and not done the right thing by the battery that's been damaged and it will catch a light eventually but they don't generally in fact it's very rare that they would actually start burning at the accident and they're a lot less explosive in there i have seen a small battery fire that the, the melbourne uni team had with their small 12 volt battery and that started extinguished itself they could get it out of the car and plonk it in a bucket of water if petrol goes up it keeps going there's no way you can stop it Okay, so petrol, you've got that fuel source sitting right there waiting mm. for ignition, whereas with a battery, it's completely different chemistry. So. Yes, it's, it's a very different fire scenario. And the number of petrol fire, car fires around the world and percentage of the fleet is much higher than there are for batteries. So you get lots of news about a battery car fire, but they're actually in percentage terms, not just in whole numbers, but in percentage of the electric fleet, they're a lot lower than the number, percentage of petrol cars that go up every day. What about charging stations? compared to petrol charging stations? That's an interesting question. Overseas in England, uh, as earlier in 2019, the number of charging stations, so um, out, uh, basically public, like petrol-type station charging points, exceeded the number of petrol stations oh. for the first time. And how do they uh, cope in fires? Yeah, what's the risk? Uh, it's those? in some ways better because as long as the grid's maintained, you can charge the car so you can get your energy source from outside into the fire area, whereas if you've got the roads closed, um, you can't get in a petrol tanker, for instance. So they had these very long queues in those fire ravage regions because of they couldn't get petrol tankers in to fit the large queues to the petrol stations. So long as the power was maintained, you could still charge cars. And how do the hazards compare, the hazards of charging an EV versus the hazard of filling your petrol tank? So electric cars are very safe to charge. There's, there's no electrical hazard whatsoever in charging electric car, unless you've got a, a very dodgily installed power point or you, you keep damaging your electric cable. But with electric cars, the chargers, the cable only turns on when the car's charging. So that, that's why the electric car charging points are set up. So if there's a fault in the cable, the thing will detect it and it won't allow the car to turn on or won't allow the, the cable to turn on. So it's like your petrol pump um, not allowing you to fill up if there's a problem with the car or the, the petrol pump. So you can smoke while you're charging your car, an electric car? 
If you wish, <laughs> having just saved all your health benefits with no pollution, then start smoking. Yes, you may smoke. <laughs> Maybe you can have your mobile phone on nearby. <laughs> Maybe right. we'll use that one. <laughs> yeah, you sort of have to have your mobile phone on when it comes to electric car charging with the public DC network because they actually work through phone apps. There you go. So mm. Not only you can, you, you must. <laughs> so is there any thought of, to having electric fire trucks? Uh, there's a number of um, electric trucks being rolled out now in trials, and not in terms of fire trucks yet, but in terms of garbage trucks, in terms of buses, in terms of um, uh, cherry pickers even. SEA are experimenting with uh, the tipper trucks, garbage trucks, cargo trucks, and even cherry pickers at the moment, and that's SEA down in Dandenong, and moving out to Morwell, all in Gippsland, Gippsland later this year, I think. And they're um, experimenting with a number of electric options in, in converting vehicles and running them. In terms of fire trucks, not yet, but it's just, it's, it will, it's time will come. Mm. It's just a matter of the electrification of the vehicle fleet will be a slow rollout. The big end of town for the trucks will be probably the later end. But even it's happening now, and the economics of it are so much better that they find with the, for instance, the Tesla truck that's still in trials, the, the economics are a lay down is there that when they're available, they will instantly, the smart trucking company will instantly swap over because you save so much money. As an example, on the water, the electric ferry, the Ellen, that's running in Denmark. Denmark I, to Sweden. Yes. It's, um, it's something like about 80 or 90% saving in running costs by running it because it's a full electric. It's not a hybrid electric. It's not a diesel electric, you know, like a diesel backup. It is full electric. So it's like your plug-in full electric electric vehicle. And it's something like 90% in terms of its carbon dioxide emissions, massive savings in the uh, running costs, no noise. Just imagine the amount of noise which, when you're on the ferry to, to Tasmania or to Queensland here in Victoria. You don't have that noise. It's just the quiet hum of motors and the swish of the propeller. Mm. And is that for vehicles like that, like such as ferries, is that an easier transition in terms of you could retrofit a, a diesel ferry with an electric motor or do you need to build it from scratch? I'm not a, a marine engineer, so I'm not quite sure how easy it would be to get a pull out a diesel motor and put in a um, electric motor. In, in theory, it's not hard for an electric car or for a car, but you wouldn't do it because of the cost. It's actually a lot easier to buy a manufactured vehicle than it is to convert one yourself. But for a ship, I don't know. All these ones that are being fitted as electric are brand new. Are ferries. But the turnover of ship shipping is relatively quick. So I think it's about like, um, don't quote me on it, 25, 30 years sort of lifespan for those sorts of vessels. And this is a fairly big vessel that carries about 200 people and 30 cars. Mm. What is it's it? not a little ferry, no. 4.3 megawatt hours. Yep, it's a huge battery. And you think of it, a megawatt hour battery. Yeah. But they do the <laughs> opportunity... Um, they basically take the opportunities at each port that are set up for the the vessel and it just does an opportunity charge. It just pulls up, plugs in while all the people get off and the cars get off and new ones get on. So I think Queenskiff Ferry has a like a 30-minute turnaround. You get mm, quite a good charge. It'd be the same sort of hmm. application, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's like you know, interstate travel where you do your 20, 30-minute stop every few hours and you get your car charged at the same time. Mm, and have a coffee, mm. have lunch. Yep. Just before we get off the bushfire topic, AEMO said today that across uh, between New South Wales and Victoria, one of the interconnectors went down because of the bushfires, mm. and also between uh, New South Wales and Queensland. So normally that would be quite catastrophic, and it is catastrophic, of course, mm. and they did say that. 
But because of the distributed renewable energy, it's not as catastrophic as it would have been in earlier times. Certainly in summer when that happens, you're going to have lots of um, solar energy or on windy days you're going to have lots of wind power to do it. Although our grid used to be completely isolated from each of them and they used to have to have their own coal-fired power stations enough so they're quite massive networks to provide enough power without any backup from anywhere else. With the distributed networks now, it's a lot less problematic I suppose, as well as having interconnects. But yes, yeah, renewable energy is definitely a help in trying to maintain those systems. And perhaps, perhaps it would be higher impact in winter when we don't have as much solar generation. So perhaps the timing is, is fortuitous yes. <laughs> with it being summer. Although up north it's always summer, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does, does seem to be. Bryce, you, you mentioned earlier when we were chatting before the show about the Victorian government putting out a press release about new policies with regard to EVs. Mm. What's, what's happening there? Well, I'm not sure yet. They only just put it out in the, the Christmas New Year period. So obviously everybody's on holiday and somebody must have been not on holiday and decided that they would release the press release early perhaps. So we're waiting for everyone to come back so we can actually ask them more detail about it. But they're looking into providing an EV infrastructure and um, a report on what's needed and what to do going ahead from here. So they're looking for input, but the dates, closing dates, terms of reference, etc., uh, have yet to be released or yet to get my hands on them anyway. Victoria's been a bit negligent in terms of fast charging, EV, yes, DC we're, charging. We're, we're not at the forefront of EV, DC charging, shall we say. In fact, we're probably um, lagging fairly well queue. behind. <laughs> <laughs> we have up the Hume Highway, we have Euroa, um, and there's the new one at Airport West or somewhere around there, then Euroa and then Barnawatha, and that's sort of what you've got going north. You've got the one at Altona that's just previously been put in by the council. You've got the, well, the council did that one, yes. Did they? Oh, okay. Um, there's a couple around from um, in the north. There's a couple of um, ones at Mel- uh, Monash Uni, so they're popping up, but they're generally privately installed. And there's one than, at Maui that's just opened. Yes, up. that one's just opened under the Charge Fox network. Mm-hmm. So, so, so there's opportunities for people to have input into. Yes, these that's what the Victorian areas. government's um, looking at with this this just announced research and report. Mm. Which happened very quietly over Christmas. Yes. So I don't know whether someone just wanted something to do and accidentally sort of released it at that date for something to do while between Christmas and New Year or or why it was released then, because there was certainly no fanfare about it. And the state governments have been doing amazing things in terms of the bushfire support for all the people that have been involved in that. So Victoria and New South Wales and South Australia have been excellent in terms Mm. of their response. And I notice... Victoria now is um, increasing its emissions targets to, they're hoping to get to 60% by 2030. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, that's that's a new one on me, even. Yeah, that's brilliant that news. Today. Mm. I think it was Greg Combay was one of the people in the panel um, advocating that. Oh, fantastic. Listeners, if you've just joined us, we're speaking with Bryce Gatton about electric vehicles and electric transport in general. So talking about government policies, does the federal government have any EV policies to speak of? Um, how can I put no in? in I think no is about the only word I can use. Um, I was trying still to think no. Of, still, still no. no. Um, they yes. did release... It's been long promised, hasn't it? Uh, before the last election that they would have a... They had a policy about creating a policy by the middle <laughs> of this year, um, one of which was to be um, they would look into mandating a standard for electric car charging plugs, which effectively is a, a non-decision because it's already effectively been made. Um, the, 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 start, the charging plug standard has pretty much been settled on by the manufacturers. So here we have pretty much one 
AC standard, except for Nissan and Mitsubishi. So all the others use what's called the Type 2 plug for AC charging, as well as, uh, sorry, correction, they also use the Type 2 plug for AC charging, so that is settled pretty much across the board now. And the DC charging, everybody but Nissan and Mitsubishi use what's called the CCS2 standard. That's including Tesla now, so the Model 3 is CCS2 as well. Mm. Um and only Tesla and Mitsubishi because they happen to be quite wedded to their own system they designed. It's called a Chatamo system for charging, which is a big round plug separate to the AC plug, whereas the CCS2 plug or the CCS combined charging system is actually just one plug with sort of two big pins down the bottom, and that's what everyone else is using. So partly because it is a smaller, bulk, less bulky plug than the, the, the Chatamo system. So, And because it's like beta versus VHS with the videotape wars if you've only got two manufacturers sticking to chatamo everybody else using a ccs i think we can all see where it's going so the government's saying it's going to mandate a standard you do scratch your head sometimes so bmw used the argument that there was no standard in australia and therefore they don't need to upgrade their old electric cars to the new ccs2 standard yes yeah they basically brought or brought them in with the american standard the ccs1 standard which is a slightly different shaped AC section, although the two big pins at the bottom are exactly the same. Communication protocols are exactly the same. Some people are changing off their own bat their plugs on the BMWs to CCS2. It's very expensive. Yes. Um, you're looking at $2,900 up to $5,000, depending on which dealer you go to, um, which is crazy. Given New Zealand, when they mandated the standard as CCS2, um, BMW then changed over the vehicle's that were already there to CCS2 as part of, you know, it's a government's mandated standard. You should be using that. We should be supplying that. So they changed them over for BMW owners there. Whereas in Australia... Free of charge. Free of charge. Whereas here in Australia, because there's no mandated standard, um, and there are still maybe half a dozen CCS1 in Australia, DC plugs or DC charges, BMW... I suppose have have a at least a leg to stand on, saying, "Well, it's no mandated standard. There are the odd ones around. Um, we have no obligation to change them. So, if you want to change it, it's at your cost." Okay, so that federal policy is kind of a non-policy, but it would help. Yes, for some from some users. Yeah, New Zealand made that decision some years ago, which is why, but all the BMWs now do come with CCS2 anyway. But the older ones, um, such as your, your own 1K, is with the CCS1, which is quite frustrating because it's it's effectively the the beta of charging, but it's not being changed over. Yeah, very sad. Let's get on to large electric vehicles. Mm. Planes. Yes. How are we going with electrifying planes? Uh, well, Norway have a, again, leading charge pardon the accidental pun there, <laughs> on um, electric flight, they're actually mandating that all short-haul flights be electric by 2030 or 2035, somewhere around there. And how is that progressing? Are, are there any yes. vehicles that can do that? At the yes, moment? there are some that now that will be able to do that. There are some in West Australia that are doing a, a short hop. It's a, I think it's a four-seater or a two-seater, or it might be a six-seater, I'm not quite sure which. Pipistrel Alpha, if you want to, people want to look that up on the web. Um, that is available now. There are a number of vertical takeoff and landing type oh, future autonomous cool. flying cabs. The Uber and Hyundai project that's... Yes, and um, Boeing have one um, that was tested recently. There's been a number of prototypes actually flying. Um, the Black Fly was another oh, one. Yeah. So are these the things that look a bit like an aeroplane but with a number of helicopter rotors on uh, over the wings Propellers. and body? Yeah, they look like 
um, um, I'm trying to put it politely, the bastard child of an aeroplane and a helicopter. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> Uh, so, listeners, have a look online if you want to see some images that fit that description. Uh, or it's don't. A bit, it's a little bit hard to describe. <laughs> it is. But, but there's so many of them, those projects coming up now. It's yes. Amazing. There's plenty of them coming. That's, that's the amazing part of it. So, um, Uber envisaged this as a way of decongesting traffic on roads and, and actually having it as a future form of regular transport. Is that right? That's what Uber are looking at, is it having it as a, a quick cross town. Um, flying transport, as opposed to the congestion on the roads. Until there's so many of them in the air. <laughs> yeah, I was <laughs> exactly. avoiding sort of, there's just so many other issues that will come about as a result of that. It's yes. going to be interesting. So it's even like drones at the moment. Um, there's enough of them getting in the air of how do they talk to each other so mm. they don't collide. Mm. Mm. It'll be the same sort of, it's just lots of things coming up, like autonomous cars, how do they operate on the roads. In Melbourne, yeah. there's that AIMS network that's being trialled for connected vehicles and systems there's, there's trials around the world for all this sort of stuff of how do you roll out this type of technology so it's, it's a brave new not a brand new world it's a really interesting new world coming in the next 10 20 years um, and lots and lots of technological changes and changes in our transport and where we get around and so it'll be the social and regulatory change trying to keep up yes. with those technological changes. And that even includes electric scooters. Um, a number of those with um, high powers or speeds, um, there's a very much a grey area about whether you can use them on the footpaths or not, or whether they're even legal on the roads, because um, they might be classed as a vehicle, not as a bicycle type thing, or might need registration. And there's various inquiries I know ACT are looking into it at the moment on sort of some of the higher power scooters and things. Can they? Where can they be used? Um, like in Melbourne you, or Victoria, you can't use the, what's those two-wheeled things that people stand up on? Oh, like a Segway? Segways, yes. Segways, they're illegal for use on public roads in most of Australia because they're classed as a vehicle so they therefore need registration and um, airbags, etc. And t- <laughs> they were talking about that with electric bikes as well. <laughs> Not the airbags. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I mean, this is really urgent issues to address, aren't they? Because these are, could be really useful parts yes. of our transport system. Yeah, electric bikes are limited to 250-watt power, but what if you have a little cargo bicycle, 250 watts, slightly uphill with a load, it's not going to get moving. So they are higher powered, but they're in that grey area again. They're not very fast moving, so they're not going to break the law in terms of speed, but they're technically breaking the law in terms of power. Hmm. It'd be interesting to know what um, Aussie Post have done with theirs because they actually have a little electric cargo carrying tricycle, so and it's allowed to be ridden on the on the footpaths for delivering, and yet it technically would be a um, uh, higher power than what's allowed. So I, I don't know, and they've got thousands or more of them that they're rolling out at the moment. And I'd imagine those restrictions will change the more and more of those vehicles are on the road because, you know, they, they are just going to become an, another fast vehicle on the road mm, yeah, very much the so. only thing is then you have to stop them getting onto footpaths and yep. ploughing through pedestrians mm. speaking of fast vehicles um formula e seems to be an expanding phenomenon do, do you know much about what's happening in that space? a little bit about that um they're about halfway through their 2019-20 season i think it finishes around july of this year um, the first one started the, for this season a couple of months ago it's generally only on sort of pay TVs and YouTubes. So that's why it tends to not get a lot of reporting. But so, yeah, if you're, so this has um, races all around the world. Like yes, Formula it's about one five races. continents. There's a 13 race series. It's very much like the Formula One series. It's a mandated 
series like Formula One and just as exciting to watch as oh, Formula One. Except so. it's quiet. Yes, except it's quiet. So you don't need the earplugs and yet you get appreciation of the, the vehicle dynamics because you can hear the tyres squealing and the motor sort of just the whine from it so you can hear everything that's happening rather than just being deafened by the, the petrol engine noise. And so it's actually really interesting to watch on, on YouTube videos and things. Are they doing similar things and similar speeds and similar acceleration yes. to Formula One? Well, more acceleration in Formula One because they're electric motors that are more powerful in and terms it, of what they can do. So they have various um, regulate, regulatory sort of requirements to, to limit them um, because it's like Formula One. They often bring in a, a thing that actually makes them quite dangerous, so they wind it back a bit until they work it out. And electric cars are a bit like that. You can be super powerful, um, but you, they might also fling themselves off the track. So they have various limitations in terms of um, uh, power and, and usage. It's it's interesting to look down the list of teams and to see you know some of the usual suspects like Porsche and Mercedes in the team names, but then there's other new players in that area and that's an interesting thing with electric vehicles that it's not just the traditional vehicle manufacturers that are bringing out electric vehicles yeah it's like the formula sae we talked about last time with the at the unis building their electric race cars the petrol cars have pretty much reached their pinnacle and they're just following that sort of last few parts of a percentage to improve the petrol cars each year whereas electrics is an enormous range yet that they can expand into in improving performance handling um, dynamics all the way through so there's so much more learning to do with electric cars even the Porsche Taycan versus the Tesla Model S Porsche Taycan did a, um, a run around the Nürburgring track in Germany um, Tesla went we can do better than that and bettered it by 10 seconds <laughs> <laughs> that's the sorts of improvements that are available with electric cars as opposed to petrols might have been a very small part of one second uh, two car manufacturers might have been able to push on each other, which is what traditionally has been the Nürburgring times. It's enormous step changes. Mm. So talking about Teslas, the ute, is ute, electric utes coming out? Uh, the Cybertruck. Um, ugly ones. Yes, it's it's a very polarising vehicle. Think, It'll be interesting, <laughs> very, very interesting to see what happens when that is actually in production, whether they tone it down a little bit or they stick to that cyberpunk uh, effect certainly cars are going to a straighter cleaner lines again if you look at all the cars at the motor shows their their show cars are looking much straighter lines rather than all the curves and things that we've had in the last 10 years or more so it's certainly on the absolute far end of straightening out all the car lines before they probably do the fashion or go back to swoops again but we shall see it'd be interesting to see whether it makes it to production in that shape or whether it's very slightly Sounds like there's a lot more new products coming out and a, a lot more opportunities for people to purchase something that actually suits Yes, their is we have another 8 to 10 EVs coming just in Australia and there's a lot more 20, 30 models overseas um, coming next year. Oh, sorry, this year now. This year. <laughs> Great. Well, Bryce, thank you very much for your time today. Yep, thank you, Kay. Thank you, Nat. And we look forward to people rushing out and buying their next EV. Yes, very much so. It's you take people out in your EV, they pretty much sell themselves. They do, don't they? We've been speaking to Bryce Gayton from the Australian Electric Vehicle Association. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions Think Tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Previous episodes of the show are available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe to help others find the show. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs, please go to the BZE website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to you joining us again next week. It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing 
demand for industrial photovoltaics. Pumped hydro. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.